Welcome to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. This week on the show, we have a live recording with Neil Stevenson at TechCrunch Disrupt in San Francisco. I'm John Biggs, and this is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com But our next guest is an author, and he's written a number of, of amazing books, but uh, his most recent one he's actually going to be signing for you after this panel, so uh, I'm not going to delay anymore. Let's bring him on up. Please welcome Neil Stevenson, the author of Seven Eves, and John Biggs. After you, sir. So are we all readers here? Yes? Raise our hands or clap or whatever you need to do. We all like, we all like books. We all read Snow Crash, yes? This guy de literally defined this era, so you should actually, everybody should be really happy that he's here. Yeah. So, Neil Stevenson, <laughs> you're... I contain the excitement. I know, they're just, this is one of the issues. When you do this room, yeah. everybody has their computers on, so we should just shut down Wi-Fi for like everybody for like... 10 minutes, should we do that? Just, all right, anyway. <laughs> so, you, uh, you're in, you write books, yes? And you were also on Obama and Bill Gates's uh, summer reading list. How did that feel? Uh, it was uh, surprising uh, and exciting, yeah. Uh, uh, came out on uh, Bill Gates's list uh, in, in May, and we got to drive around Seattle and do a little video together, uh, which was a pretty pretty crazy day, one of the more surreal days of my life. Uh, and, uh, and then um, in August, yeah, uh, the, president's, uh, the president's reading list, um, pretty ambitious list of books for the president of the U.S. Uh, to read on his vacation, but it's, a, it's an honor to be on it. Yeah, Seven Eves was pretty long. Yeah. So yeah. you might have, maybe he's a speed reader. Yeah, maybe has people for that, but, but I, I can tell you that, that, that Bill Gates re read it because of the nature of the, the questions that he asked, so, mm -hmm. uh, so that was fun. So why don't you give a brief synopsis just in case people haven't read it yet. I, I loved it because it was a dystopia, then a utopia, then all kinds of crazy fun stuff. So why don't you just give a brief synopsis so they know what, to, what they're expecting. Uh, the moon blows up. Uh, on the first, in the first sentence, uh, it fragments into seven large chunks, and uh, those start to bang into each other and make more chunks, and some of those chunks start coming in uh, and entering the atmosphere as meteorites, and people figure out that in about two years that process is going to go exponential and wipe out all life on the surface of the Earth. Uh, so from that point on, it's a space arc book, which is a kind of a subgenre of science fiction I used to mm -hmm. enjoy when I was a kid. Um, and then we have, spoiler alert, we have a sort of fast forward to the kind of distant future where we see the, the civilization that was constructed by the survivors uh, on, on the space arc. So I was actually like emotionally moved when 
in the book, everybody basically dies. Did you enjoy that? Did you? <laughs> what? How does it feel as an author to be able to destroy the entire world? Uh, you know, it, it's it's mostly a decision-making process around like how how to handle this. Like, what's the uh, uh, the um, I was reminded actually of a quote um, around the time that the the first Star Wars uh, came out, and um, and and there's a moment where where Princess Leia has to watch Alderaan being blown up. And when they filmed it, it was just uh, some dude standing next to the camera doing this. <laughs> and, you know, she was supposed to look at his hand and, and act as if uh, her planet had just been destroyed. So, uh, you know, it can be hard to summon the right amount of emotional gravity for something like that. So I decided to focus on the, the, the emotions of the people who were watching it from space. Uh, and I gave them something to do uh, to, to kind of keep them busy. Interesting. I guess you're right. So you actually pulled them away. So what is the, what's the most pernicious thing about futurism that you think fiction, nonfiction, uh, blog posts uh, do? Is there, is, there a, is there a bad way to predict the future and a good way? Is there a what? Is there a bad way to predict the future oh, or a good way? You know, I, uh, 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 at a certain point, got a little tired of, of the dystopian thing. And I think it happened when I, a few years ago, I turned on my Apple TV and I was browsing for movies, and it brought up a whole subcategory of dystopian futures. And I thought, <laughs> man, dystopia used to be a pretty technical word, you know, that you would hear in like a graduate you know, literature seminar, and now it's a genre that you can dial up on Apple TV. So maybe dystopias have kind of jumped the shark a little bit. Um, so, uh, and it, you know, it's, it's uh, of course, uh, I, I got my start writing dystopian science fiction, so I'm totally throwing stones at a glass house here. Um, but, um, so I, I think that's a bit tired. I don't think it's serving the same kind of social purpose it might have served at one point uh, to be depicting utopia, dystopias all the time. And, and uh, I think it may be more functional and more useful to try to, th to think about ways that we don't end up with a, uh, a dystopia. Why do we like dystopias? Um, I have a theory that um, that, that uh, movie and TV people like them uh, because uh, they're inexpensive. <laughs> so the, the first, the, the way this started was in Planet of the Apes, where at the end you see the Statue of Liberty, it's fallen over, and, uh, and it, it's an awesome image. Everyone knows that image, and it was probably really inexpensive. They just probably took a plaster model of the Statue of Liberty and kicked it over and threw some dirt on it. And uh, it's a lot cheaper and quicker to do that than it is to, to meticulously construct a whole alternate reality. Um, say, so uh, like a counterexample would be Avatar, where James Cameron actually had to build uh, a, a world that was beautiful and kind of fully realized and succeeded in doing that, but it was a, a big project, you know. Okay. So... Briefly, your, your work for Magic Leap as chief futurist as well. You can't talk anything about Magic Leap, but you can give signals if they're holding you against your will. <laughs> this is a safe space. Yeah. And I also wanted to talk about AR, VR as an art form and a medium. 
Is it an art form medium like movies? Is it a new in interaction paradigm? Are these people going to be sitting at home five years from now with VR goggles on watching us as opposed to being in this room? Well, I would say that, you know, uh, a way to think about it is this. If, if you watch movies or TV that were filmed in, say, the 90s, for the most part, the built environment doesn't look much different. The people don't look much different. There have been changes in the way people dress and style their hair a little bit, but it, you can easily forget that <clears throat> it's set 20 years ago until you see somebody pick up a giant cell phone or sit down in front of a computer monitor the size of a car. Yep. Right, and then it's like, whoa, that's right. We used to have those things, and now they've all, uh, they've all gone away, and it happened slowly enough that we kind of didn't notice, uh, and you don't notice until you look back. And um, I, I think that 10, 20 years from now, people are going to be having similar reactions when they see movies uh, from, the, from our age of people sitting in front of big monitors or watching television or, or what have you. So I think that that changeover is going to occur. Uh, it's going to be one of those things that seems slow when it's happening and incredibly rapid when we look back on it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's just a question of um, how everybody in this room uh, and in the industry is going to kind of make that adjustment over the next few years. Interesting. So is your bet that we're all going to be wearing these things? Are you, as a, as a, as a, why are you into VR? I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan. We have a rig in the basement. The kids have been playing the games. It's, there's not a lot there yet. It's really, really compelling once you get into it. But why are you into it specifically? Uh, it's the, it's essentially the reason I mentioned it. I, I think it's where we're going to end up. Uh, I, I feel as a, a, a creator that um, the uh, uh, it's hard to <clears throat> it's hard to to do new things uh, creatively in um, uh, in the say traditional styles of of, of uh, screen based uh, entertainment because everybody kind of knows what works so if you want to make a movie everybody knows that superhero movies. Uh, make money, and so it's easy to get those financed, and not as easy to get other kinds of like indie films financed. And um, and it's uh, and that always happens with an established medium. Uh, we dial in, we figure out how to make money off of it, and uh, then artists uh, can have some difficulty in in doing new things. And I think that there are these moments that come up from time to time when a new medium emerges uh, when nobody knows anything and everyone is, sort of does a reset and has to start from, from scratch and figure out uh, how it's going to work, what's going to be popular. Uh, and um, uh, this is one of those, those moments, I think. Do you think video games have, have passed the, I guess, the, the point of commonality where the best video games are made and they're, they're, or the most popular video games are essentially the same thing over and over again? I'd say it's a similar, you can make an analogy to film where in, in the case of video games, first person shooters have ended up being you know, a, a dominant style and you can do creative things within that, you know, within the first person shooter uh, genre, um, but um, um, the, uh, that's, that's kind of achieved uh, 
uh, a sort of lock-in that's, that's difficult to break. I think Jaron Lanier called it a tractor lock. In a complex system, you can have a system that's theoretically uh, very complicated and can exist in a lot of states, but sometimes it'll get locked down into you know, a very small corner of that space and it can't get out. So this is a question that I ask. I'm a generally a techno-utopianist. I believe that the world's going to kind of look like Palo Alto. You're going to have like a Chipotle and maybe a Starbucks, and it's going to be pleasant for the vast majority and going to really suck, and we have to work on that for, for some folks. Mm -hmm. uh, and you wrote about the world exploding. Is there a happy medium? What is the world? What does this room look like in 20 years? Mm. Um. <clears throat> well, right now I'm seeing a a uh, basically a Milky Way galaxy of little white apples. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's really quite, I mean, you guys can't see it from where you're sitting. You're seeing the screens because you're facing this way. But from where I'm sitting, uh, I'm seeing a thousand little white apples uh, and, um, and everybody looking down at them. And uh, I've got a little white apple back in my hotel room. Uh, it, I, I love it. It's awesome. Um, the, you can argue that there's, uh, that there's a social impact that's not so great, right, in that um, people can be so fixated on their phone or their laptop that they're not looking up and interacting with, uh, with other people normally. Uh, and, I mean, it's a common, this is a very common observation. Sure. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I would hope that, uh, that we can find our way uh, in, that we can kind of get both, that, that we can continue to get access to all of the cool information that's available uh, on the internet, um, but maybe do so in a more social uh, way, in a more shared way, um, and kind of get back in the habit of, of looking at each other again. So I think all y'all just got schooled by Neil Stevenson, which was pretty cool. <laughs> that's, uh, they're, they're all, this, these three, two guys right here working on their dissertations. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see what happens. Well, we'll see what happens down the line. If they're going to miss all What do you want these smart people to build in 10 years? What do we have to build? What do we have? Mm, well, I mean, it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be tools for a while. Uh, it, it's going to be, um, uh, and then it's going to be things that, that are Im impossible to pr predict. I mean, I've, I've proven that I'm, I, I'm not that great. At, <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm glad people like Snow Crash, but if you look at the predictions that are made there about, um, about what the future would look like, it doesn't actually look that much like what we've got now. Uh, because I was using TV as the basis for my kind of analogy of how 3D graphics would uh, develop, and um, that didn't happen. Instead, we got, you know, it, it happened through the medium of video games, and we got a different, different outcome. Um, so I think you just have to be uh, ready for the fact that, that brilliant people are going to come along and invent things that you, you don't necessarily uh, anticipate. But with the folks that you've been talking to, what are the pressing problems that need to be solved? You said about the social import and the impact of having a phone in your lap all the time. Is there anything else? Are we, do we have to solve global warming before we all die? Do we have to go to space? What's, what, are, what are some things that you've heard? Well, I think that... Um, uh, I mean, global climate change is definitely the thing that kind of keeps me up at, at night. Uh, you know, 
now. It's, uh, there was a great XKCD yesterday about this, which I hope some of you saw. Um, it's, it's a thing the likes of which the human race hasn't faced before. And um, in a way, there's a certain sense in which Seven Eves is, a, I mean, I don't like to be allegorical in my sure, writing because sure. it's a little tiresome, but there's a certain sense in which uh, uh, Seven Eves is kind of an allegorical treatment of, of what's about to happen to us with, with global climate change. Maybe not quite that bad, but. Well, I mean, people looked up, they saw in the, in the book, this is fascinating, people looked up, they saw that this moon had exploded and it's like, that's kind of cool. And they had taking the kids out to look at it, everything. But then the very important point is that scientists figured out very quickly that it was a bad thing. And we're in the same situation. Oh, it's nice that it's a little bit warmer, but that's really, really bad. Yeah. Uh, and it's getting worse, and we're still just kind of looking up to the telescope and marveling at the fact that this thing happened, let alone uh, instead of fixing it. Um, did science fiction ever predict something like a Donald Trump situation? Um, you know, that's a great question. And um, my, my problem is I'm not a great scholar of, of science fiction. I know people who are just phenomenally knowledgeable mm -hmm. about it. And I'm sure that if they were here, they would be like handing you a list of 10 <laughs> books right now where it was uh, predicted. Uh, you know, there was. Uh, but, uh, but nothing, uh, I'm sure the answer is yes, but I, I can't quote you a, a specific example. Okay, so the, these guys want, are probably gonna write, wanna write a book. Should they write a book? How should they write a book? Should they do a Kickstarter kind of situation? What's the, your experience has been completely separate from, from, from crowdfunding. From how, from how publishing, like what's the... Is, is there hope for a young sci-fi author or even like a business book author? The, um, uh, so I came up uh, 30 years ago, basically, in a different universe. And uh, when, when people ask me that kind of question now, I feel helpless because things have changed so much uh, that none of my knowledge is really uh, of use anymore. I would say that yeah, and I'm, I'm going to say some things that will probably make me sound like an old fuddy-duddy, <laughs> but, but I, uh, if you, the, here's the deal. Um, there's a certain mindset around a kind of internet, internet-y people which uh, is quite uh, dismissive of middlemen. Uh, we're going to get rid of the middleman. We're going to disintermediate everything. We're going to disrupt everything uh, and let the chips fall where they may. Um, and uh, I think and there's a lot of value in that, but uh, it's easy to not see the value of what those that middle layer is doing in publishing, what an agent does for a living, what an editor does, what publicists do. Um, how the marketing works, the relationships with all the bookstores. Um, and those people actually are sort of performing very high functioning, high judgment tasks that are super valuable. Um, and so uh, I, I, I think people need to consider that, you know, if you, if you go on, if you, you do a kind of self-publishing thing and, and get your book up that way, if you're the right personality type, if you're like, for example, a Hugh Howey, who's done unbelievable things with, with, with his career, 
Uh, Hugh is, is outgoing and, and good at, um, at the numbers and, uh, and at, at managing a, a business in a way that a lot of writers are not. So uh, J.D. Salinger uh, would not have been able to get much of a foothold in publishing if he had been an internet self-published kind of, kind of guy. Um, and then Catcher in the Rye would have been a good Kickstarter? Well, I mean, people don't people don't kickstart books because they can just write them. You don't need just a lot them of out. yeah. But but there's a whole scene around, um, or maybe some people kickstart books. But for the most part, people just write them and then mm -hmm. try to uh, find ways to um, uh, to to get eyeballs on them. And it's that part. It's it's sort of the the quality control layer of editors and the. Um, the, uh, uh, the 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 reaching you know connecting to eyeballs and community building and all that that tends not to be a good match with the personality type of authors. All right, is there going to be a Seven Eves sequel? Um, that depends uh, a lot on what happens on the media front. We have a film project in the works at Imagine Entertainment, so the. The gang that brought us Apollo 13 has been brought back together. Wow. Ron Howard, Brian Ron Fraser, Howard. and Bill Broyles, who wrote the script for Apollo 13 and yeah. created China Beach and is a legendary uh, screenwriter, uh, is working on the script right now. Beautiful. All right, Neil Stevenson, thank you very much. Seven Eves is his new book. Go buy it. You're going to be outside signing, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I'll be out in just a few minutes. I'll be out. There's a little signing booth over there somewhere. All right. Beautiful. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Thanks.